Welcome to the Sisters of Resistance podcast for the week of May the 10th, 2019. The speakers on this podcast sometimes use bad words, and so listener discretion is advised. And find us on Stitcher, Podbean, and Apple iTunes at Sisters of Resistance, all one word. And find us on Sisters of Resistance on Facebook, and email us at sistersofresistance3 at gmail.com. I'm joined by my sisters, Franny McIntyre and Meg, Meg McIntyre Sundin. Ladies, it's been too long. How are you? Both? It's been too long, and I'm so grateful to be here, Reggie. So it just, I needed to have a place to have a space to speak I about agree. this. I and agree. I, I, I want to, you know, thank any of our gentle listeners who come back. Um, you know, this has been a difficult time for all of us. But we are going to try and uh, provide what information we can in the meantime about the situation going on. And so to that end, uh, ladies, I was thinking, why don't we give folks, folks that are going to be joining us brand new, or maybe folks who have forgotten a little bit about our <laughs> credentials and where we all come from. Why don't you give our friends a few minutes, just a, you know, a, a, a a quick synopsis on your careers and uh, and why it is that you qualify to for us to do this podcast. So Meg, why don't you start for us, please? Well, uh, thank you, Reggie, for those nice words. Uh, I am retired, but previously I worked for the Department of Justice, and uh, I worked uh, for the Federal Bureau of Investigation and also as a departmental attorney. And my personal experience has been with legislation and regulation. So I was responsible for assembling responses to proposed legislation. And so I'm pretty familiar with how things work or how they are supposed to work and uh, also about the process, the regulatory process, is something done by the executive department, and that is to carry out the laws. So, you know, there's two aspects, making the laws and then carrying them out. And so that makes me think that I am qualified to, um, to make sarcastic comments and also oh, to yell at... <laughs> And to yell at the television. <laughs> Yay! There you go. There you I go. I found yesterday that I had I had reached such a point of collapse that yep. uh, I contacted my sisters and we agreed it was time for us to come back out as bad as things are. That perhaps now is a time when we're needed more than ever. But I also yep. have a sister here who knows a lot about just justice in general, especially state systems. So. Go ahead, Franny. Okay, before I do though, Margaret, would you just uh, tell us how many years you were with the uh, Department of Justice and FBI? Uh, I think uh, 20, that's important. Uh, 20, uh, yes, 20 years, and I had the honor of working um, for uh, Mr. Muller, who is now, Yay. you've heard about him. And uh, I was uh, on, a, on an org chat three clicks away from him. Wow! And, um, cool. I have. I. I can tell you. I respect the the man so much, and he is honest and true, and everything he says has got to be perfect. Also, uh, I had the opportunity of working uh, directly for 
Weinstein, who is on the um, uh, was on the Mueller uh, report staff, who again is a brilliant guy, but absolutely scary. Uh, mm-hmm. He is so um, just so smart. So he said, uh, "Those are my experiences." And then, of course, I I pretend to know in a shirt tail way uh, lots of other people, but I can say generally anything that Robert. Muller says, I will take to the bank, I will swear on it. That's how honest he is. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, that, and, and I know that you, I know, I know, I know that you, I knew that you know, you know that, and I was, I was going to uh, ride you a little bit on rubbing elbows with, with Robert Muller, but uh, I think it's awesome. I have a copy of my own Muller report. I don't know if anybody else ordered theirs off of Amazon, but mine is sitting right on my bedside table, and I read it at night. It's great. <laughs> Franny, I have gotten, oh, I've only gotten through most of the first volume, and if you know, we have time in a later broadcast, we will talk about it. Uh, but anyway, things were much worse than even I imagined. But uh, you go ahead, Bernie. Sure, thanks, um, both. Yeah, I've had my Mueller report, you know, right at the night on the bedside table, and I got it right with me right now. Um, yeah, I have had a lot of experience um, in courtrooms um, as a lawyer. I'm an active, uh, got an active license in Massachusetts. I uh, served as a prosecutor. I've also had experience as a defense attorney, civil. Um, and criminal and have had some exposure on the federal side, but most of my experience is actually in the state system. Actually, I was, had the opportunity to serve as a trial court justice in Massachusetts, which gave me a lot of procedural exposure. And I think that the legal background and exposure that I have gives me some insight into how things work, not um, precisely from direct experience on the federal side, but by, by analogy um, to the state side. And um, evidence, privilege, things like that. So I feel as though um, I can read sufficiently to understand what's happening with some of the issues, for example, executive privilege, and try to help uh, our listeners come to a better level of understanding so that they can understand the news a little bit more easily too. And, and, and yeah, you know, we've been uh, a little bit missing in action um, for a while. Life uh, provided some pretty serious interventions uh, for us so that we weren't able to uh, really be on deck. Of course, this has been sort of like a long two years thinking of the Titanic, hasn't it? Um, it, just <laughs> uh, it just gets incrementally worse and worse and worse, and the deck chairs are sliding and sliding and sliding. And remarkably, independently, um, the three of us I reached a point yesterday where I just had one word for the lot of them, and that word was <laughs> Dracarys. 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 It's high valerian and it means a pox on all their houses. I don't want to be a spoiler. Um, and, uh, and I just knew that we needed to be, I needed to be able to speak about this in a way that might be useful. Uh, it just gave me a better sense than just hanging my head and feeling worse and worse and worse about what's happening. Um, and so uh, that's my explanation for where I've been and why I'm here today. And this is uh, so helpful to me, and I really hope it is helpful to our listeners. And, and, and Reggie uh, and, and listeners, you know, we've talked about uh, the laws and setting out uh, the regulations and also interpreting the laws. But the most important thing is law enforcement. And we're very lucky <laughs> to have someone here with us who has been enforcing with a gun, 
<laughs> laws and regulations. Uh, regu- federal laws. A little federal bit laws. Federal laws That's and regulations. Right. Federal law. You're right. You're right. Thank you, Meg, for that introduction. Uh, very Yes, very quickly, I got uh, into law enforcement. I don't know how. I just sort of arrived there. And but I uh, was a federal agent, a special agent with the Naval Criminal Investigative Service for, I think it was nine years. And then I was also a federal law enforcement agent for the EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, Criminal Investigations. And so it's funny because as I was writing something up this morning, I remember reviewing the, the regulations about asbestos and then how it applied to the Clean Air Act. So you have those two things specifically, you know, the law and then the regulation and how they interact. And I became quite good at asbestos, I have to say. So, right. Um, so, it, uh, so we come here at all different angles, but we all come here with a desire to share with our, with our friends what the bloody hell is going on. And yes, indeed, <laughs> I, do, I do agree with you. I feel like we, this has been one long freaking reality show that just simply won't end. It won't freaking end. And, uh, it's not funny. I just have, I just have such disgust. I, I can't even listen to the guy's voice now that I know that in 1985 to 1994, he was being touted as this wonderful guy that was making all this money when he was clearly in the shitter because he, he had no money to spend. He was just pissing it all away. So anyway, you can see him in my, my, uh, my use of language. has A lot of passion. I haven't, I haven't cleaned that up, but in any event, so here we are. Here we are. So, um, so gals, I figured, uh, I think the, the, the lineup we, we talked about was, Franny, you were going to share first about executive privilege. And for our listeners, we're going to keep this short and sweet and to the point because we want to get ourselves back in the game. So I want to get this po- I want to get this posted and up so that you guys have something to look forward to, and then we will start on a regular on a regular basis. Okay? So, Franny, why don't you give us the download that you know about executive privilege? What are your thoughts? Well, I, I was finding myself uh, being a little bit confused, and it seems so so mushy. Um, all these requests mm-hmm. for information. Um, from Congress and from prosecutors to the, but specifically lately from Congress to the White House to the executive branch, the complete stonewalling that was happening, the executive privilege, I was getting confused and disheartened and I don't like to feel that way. And so that's when I really felt like I needed to take a real hard look at this so that I could understand it a little bit better. And um, we had some familiarity and we would earlier have spoken on this call going back months now um, to executive privilege, and, and really the, the, the fundamental case, if you, just, if, you learn, if you know a little bit about the facts, it helps you to understand the principle that it was, the case was United States v. Nixon, and executive privilege was what Richard Nixon relied on in order to not turn over the smoking gun tapes to Leon Jaworski, and he claimed executive privilege, and uh, based that executive privilege on saying that he should be able to have advice from his closest um, advisors be keep confidential, and it makes a certain amount of sense that the that the president um, should have uh, the advice of his 
advisors and have those advisors not be expected to repeat it again in a public forum. Um, I think of it, forgive me, I'm, I'm given to Game of Thrones analogies, uh, but what if Tyrion and, and, and Tyrion and Varys were called forward what a to show testify off. as to what the what her thoughts were about Daenerys, and so <laughs> and so mm-hmm. basically, it makes sense that there be confidentiality with his private advisors, confidential that there be a privilege with regard to um, national security kinds of issues and open law enforcement cases, and those were the three things that the United States Supreme Court recognized could be could be protected under executive privilege. Um, Nixon, however, was relying on Tyrion and Varys. He was relying on the confidential advice prong of this when he said he shouldn't have to turn over the smoking gun case. The United States Supreme Court considered that Leon Jaworski needed these tapes in order to use them in an actual trial that was then pending. And this was the trial of the plumbers in the Watergate case. And so the sort of general claim of confidentiality that Nixon was asserting fell, was trumped, if you will, by the need of the court for trial testimony in a specific criminal case. And in that balancing act, the court decided that Nixon had to turn the smoking gun tapes over and two weeks later he resigned. That's where it comes out. So what happens here? Um, As you know, a number of different agencies uh, have sought Trump's tax returns. the uh, Judiciary Committee has sought the Mueller report. They haven't just sought the Mueller report, which you can get for under $10 from Amazon. I'd love to see that be the number one bestseller. Um, but they also sought all the exhibits and attachments. They also sought um, the underlying evidence, all the underlying evidence. And they also sought another category of all documents either viewed or created by the special counsel. Um, so they, they actually did seek an enormous universe, probably for negotiation purposes so that they could let some things go as it unfolded, but they asked for a huge, huge, and so um, when push came to shove on this, because the, you know, Jerry Nadler had been requesting this for about two months, at least two letters had been sent and there had been no response from the Department of Justice, and the first response was when, um, when, when Barr was going to be held in contempt for failure to turn it over on Wednesday, May 8th, because that was the deadline when the, when the Jerry Nadler reached the end of his patience, issued a subpoena, and put a deadline on it, and the failure to produce it by May 8th meant that they were in default to Congress and then vulnerable to a contempt vote. It was only when it came to the contempt question that then the Department of Justice rouses itself up, bestirs itself, and writes this letter. And what they say in the letter is that they are exerting, I'm sorry, asserting an executive privilege. Um, and they call it a protective use of the executive privilege. And this, sort of, this makes sense. Now, let me just um, say that this was first, uh, first articulated by Janet Reno, who's a personal hero, um, you know, back in 1996 around a Clinton case. And if you, you know, when you think about that Jerry Nadler has sought millions of documents, um, the executive in the Department of Justice needs a little time to figure out which of those are actually privileged and which are not, you know, if they're in good faith. Um, and so in order to buy themselves some time, they protectively assert executive privilege. They throw an executive privilege top over the entire, you know, mountain of documents that are being sought um, and seek time in order to narrow it down. Now, if you recognize a stall tactic in that, 
so do I, and I think it's pretty well known. It's, it, it can be used as a stalling tactic because really Department of Justice is not too worried. Um, the reason why executive privilege is important when they start talking about contempt is contempt uh, can be excused if there is a privilege um, that requires the party to not appear and not respond. And so the assertion of executive privilege is theoretically a protection for Barr. And Barr needs that protection because, of course, on May 8th, um, Jerry Nadler's committee did vote to recommend a contempt finding. And so currently, uh, when Barr got this, I'm, so, you know, I'm sorry, when Nadler got this assertion of a, a protective executive privilege, Barr, you know, had, I'm sorry, Nat, Nadler had to kind of hold it in abeyance. His next action is in abeyance. That's the term of art. So he's holding right now. They're not making that recommendation to Congress yet. Um, I suppose theoretically to give the Department of Justice time to respond and decide which documents are actually published and which ones are not. Now in point of fact, this whole thing is going to just go back to sleep again um, unless Jerry Nadler's committee, committee continues to move forward. And so what I think will happen next is that Jerry Nadler will, or, or, or Nancy Pelosi, I should say, will schedule an actual contempt vote before the entire Congress. That will raise the pressure um, on the Department of Justice because they'd rather not have to deal with this, the reasons I'll explain in one minute. Um, and I think at that point, the Department of Justice and Jerry Nadler will begin to really look at the hard data that the committee's looking for and the Department of Justice can ethically resist. Um, you need to understand that in the federal system, Margaret would know this, Reggie would, that there's something called Rule 11, and it, 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 it punishes fairly severely frivolous pleadings that are signed by lawyers. So the lawyers don't want to fool around with this. I mean, they don't want to just understand. I mean, they, they, need, they, they can't just assert privileges if things don't actually exist, so, you know, or grounds don't actually exist. So when they get into the meat of this and breaking this down bit by bit, I suspect um, that they will find some uh, fair amount of material that they can turn over and some that can legitimately be withheld. But they're going to have to really get their hands dirty and at the moment, nobody's really done that yet. They can do that in a couple of ways. They can do it either document by document. In a regular courtroom proceeding, this would be referred to as a privilege log where every item is specified on a spreadsheet and, and, and either a claim of privilege is made and, and the reason for the claim is made so that you have a log of all the withheld items and all the reason why, and then it can be litigated. It can be reviewed by a court or they can be subject to negotiation. Of course, it's very unlikely this million or so documents is already on any kind of a spreadsheet. just hasn't been time for that. Or they can do it by buckets. And my guess is that some of this stuff is susceptible to, to being decided by, by buckets. Quick example, if you all would just pick up your handy-dandy Mueller report um, and you look on page 147, you'll see that there are a number of redactions on page 147. Um, I told you what the three categories were that are presently recognized for executive privilege. And um, grand jury um, is not uh, specifically identified, but open law enforcement cases is an area that, that uh, can be appropriately withheld. So grand jury matters um, are uh, basically going to be appropriately withheld. So all the redactions that are attributed to that, I suspect, gets withheld. There are lines redacted for 
fear of disclosing investigative techniques. Um, those things will probably have to be litigated and be discussed, but those certainly sound like um, law enforcement um, goals um, that it's likely a court would, would ultimately protect. Um, there are lines uh, that were redacted, I'm looking at page 166 now, uh, for harm to an ongoing matter. Um, that is the same kind of concern. It might not be a grand jury matter, but it's an ongoing investigation, a live active criminal case. Um, as distinguished from, um, uh, in my, what the page I'm looking at, 166, 11, uh, 14 lines redacted for personal privacy. Now, it's not up to the executive to claim personal privacy of individuals who are not a part of the executive, and I think those will fall. So all those personal privacy claims of redaction um, will probably fall um, to the congressional request because they are not appropriate claim, appropriately claimed under executive privilege. I think they'll go through it by buckets and begin to get into the, the meat of the matter. The reason that the Department of Justice would rather avoid a contempt proceeding is that there is a process set down um, that, that um, in the event of a finding of contempt, that must be referred to the appropriate U.S. attorney, which would be the one in Washington, D.C., so it, it, it doesn't go directly back to Barr. It goes into the department, uh, into the U.S. Attorney's Office. And I'm sure that they would arrange some sort of firewall so that there is an independent decision. It involves Barr. Barr would have to delegate it to an underling um, to make an ultimate decision on it. But it's, it's, it, it's going to implicate um, work and considerations and questions of appropriateness. And I think that they would uh, just as soon avoid all that and we'll try to come to a, a, a significant negotiation. That's my expectation as to what will happen next. Um, I just will make a final point. I think that folks should recognize, as I can appreciate now, that executive privilege cannot be, um, ex it's not a blanket that can be thrown over everything that the president doesn't want to have revealed. Um, for example, executive privilege won't help him at all in the tax returns issue because that's not anything about the executive and it's before he was president. Executive privilege won't help at all with the Trump Jr. subpoena. That's probably why they're wired, so wild about it, um, because that, he can't do anything. Trump Jr. was not a part of the executive. And so um, if folks are kind of think about it that way, uh, it may be easier to understand some of these assertions as they go forward. Um, so, but basically right now, Reggie, uh, the thing is kind of in a stall because nobody's really worried that the Department of Justice is going to take any action in regard to a contempt. By the way, it's punishable as a misdemeanor, at least 30 days in jail. Nobody wants to do that, but how likely is that really to happen? Everybody's got substantial risk here. I think that's what they mean about we're stalled, we're stuck. It's kind of a constitutional crisis. But I'll turn it over to you, Ridge, to bring that up. Um, you, Ridge? No, I got it. I got it. And... Uh... It's over to uh, Meg. You wanted to talk to us about constitutional crisis, so go uh, ahead. Yes. Well, thank you, Reggie. And, and I want to add uh, my opinion on the executive privilege, that it's a bunch of crap what they're doing, because uh, <laughs> that, that was waived when they agreed to let everyone testify. So they can't, they can't assert it now. And uh, again, as Fernie said, it doesn't work on the grand jury material. It doesn't work on law enforcement or foreign uh, security investigations. And finally, it doesn't work on the personal privacy, which is a category that Bob just made up out of thin air. I looked at one of the lists of people that were mentioned, and 
redacted were spaces that would neatly fit alphabetically with Trump and then um, uh, Kushner and Trump. So I think really what I want to know is who did they decide was peripheral? Is the president peripheral? I mean, I don't trust William Barr anyway. But it brings us back, if you've been watching TV like I have been, there seems to be a lot of talk is, are we having a constitutional crisis? Yes, we are. No, we're not. It depends on your definition of a constitutional crisis. Some people feel that is when everything has irretrievably broken down. And believe me, it's possible we're going to get to that point. But I strongly argue that, yes, we are in the midst of a constitutional crisis right now. And uh, I just want to, and, and we told you we would be brief, so I am going to be brief. But uh, basically, the Constitution is not difficult to under, understand. The first article, the most important one, involves Congress. Second article, the executive of the president. The third article, the judiciary. The, our founding fathers instituted a program of checks and balances so that one branch could not uh, take all the power. So there should be an appropriate balance. That's completely gone now. And the reason for this is not Donald Trump, although believe me, uh, may he burn in hell. I blame it on Mitch McConnell. First of all, he's upset the balance in the Congress. We know there's two houses of Congress, the Senate and the House of Representatives. Senators are elected for six years, House for two years. The Senate makes decisions by consensus. The House makes it by majority. What's happened is the Senate, under the direction of McConnell, has completely stifled all forward movement on any legislation. He is doing this, first of all, because he enjoys a feeling of power, and secondly, to protect Mr. Trump, Fat Donnie, who has taken over the Republican Party. So the first difficult balance is right there in Congress, and I blame it on Mitch McConnell. The second part, uh, Trump, has been uh, misusing, because he himself is ignorant, does not understand the Constitution, claiming power that he does not have. The reason our founders made the Constitution the way it is with the first article being Congress is because we did not want a monarch, okay? Congress has the power to control the spending of money. It was the complete opposite in colonial America. The king, once the money were in, was in the coffers, could do whatever the heck he wanted with it. And that's what Trump thinks he is a king. He's not. So the ultimate power of Congress is with controlling the money. But why I say this is a constitutional crisis, of course, it arises out of the, out of the, out of, excuse me, a constitutional crisis. It arises out of the Congress. It has been made worse by the president because um, the, the Senate has been supporting him. But I'm also fearful the third group is the judiciary. And uh, here I also blame Mr. McConnell who has been working to try to change 
the Supreme Court and other federal justices to what he calls is a more conservative, pro-business view. I truly fear what will happen when these things get either to the D.C. Circuit or to the Supreme Court, okay? So I don't want to paint too bleak a picture, but I'll say when we started out two years ago, all of us thought that the system was going to hold and would right itself. Unfortunately, dear listeners, I was completely wrong. I did not understand how much the system has been eroded. So basically, we are having a constitutional crisis, and the solution for it is for the people to take back the power. And the people can do that on the election in November. I will not let myself be bothered by talks about impeachment, Instead, when I see the TV now and someone's claiming privilege or telling lies, I am going to yell back at the TV, what are you trying to hide? But it is time for a new American revolution. It's time for the American voters to take this in hand because we cannot trust our elected representatives to do what they're supposed to do. Finally, I just want to note that there's a separate oath for the President of the United States, okay? He says, I'll solemnly swear that I'll faithfully execute the office of the President of the United States and to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Well, frankly, uh, Trump is doing a piss-poor job, and it may be to the best of his ability. It's disgusting. However, everyone else besides the President Everyone else who is concerned with the federal government takes the same oath that Regina and I did, okay? This is the more important oath. I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which I'm about to enter. So help me God. So we have got to call upon our elected representatives to fulfill the oath they took. Also note that William Barr took that oath. And it's time for us to to take charge of the ballot box. Uh, And thanks so much, Reggie. I'll give it back to you. Wow. Well, that's... Yeah, that's exactly right. And I like what you said about, you know, we can't get dissuaded with impeachment. Now, speaking of, just speaking of that, as I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts yesterday morning, they were talking about how Pelosi was, was figuring that, you know, he, that we're almost being forced, well, right. we don't want yep. to play into Trump's hands. Mm. And so if we are forced into impeachment, we're going to be playing into Trump's hands, A. But then the other thing that they said was, if, you know, if he wants to try, and I'll just use the term gaff off these subpoenas, if he gets subpoenaed during the impeachment process, they cannot, they cannot you know, uh, just pretend that isn't happening. What, what, do you have any thoughts on that, Meg, or either of you? Well, well, first of all, I very much trust and admire Speaker Pelosi. So I'm yeah. willing to take her advice. But I also yep. want to point out that the process of impeachment would it start with investigation 
and a bill or a charge brought by the House, which yep. would then be tried in the Senate, which is controlled by Mitch McConnell. So I know that that bill of impeachment would be strangled. It is going to go nowhere. And so does Nancy Pelosi understand that. The problem is that Fat Donnie, the white privileged son of millionaires who has wasted billions himself, although he's a bully, he likes to pretend to be a victim. So when he pretends to be the victim, all it will do is rise up all the Republicans and all those people who are sitting on the couch pissed and unhappy about their own miserable lives, and that's why they elected him to get out and vote. I don't want to inflame them anymore. I want instead to work for uh, law-abiding Americans who respect the balance of power, who respect the Constitution, and want to defend it against all enemies, foreign and domestic. I want us to pull them to account and, and to rise up ourselves because impeachment is ultimately going to go nowhere because the trial right. will be in the Senate and that will be quashed. Um, so the other thing I thought of too was, um, uh, so if, she, if, if they decide that, they, that, that impeachment isn't the way to go, and I thought to myself, well, what about those of us that are raring to go for impeachment? What, what, what about those of us that, that are running their guns? What are we going to do? And then I thought to myself, well, they know we're not going to sit, we're not going to sit out Election Day. You know, we're going to show up. We're going to participate. We're going to be because we want to get this ass hat out of office. <laughs> so either one way or the other, we're going to show up. But uh, and, and, and and so, um, Franny, do you have any thoughts? Any continuing thoughts or anything else? Yeah, a couple of thoughts on the, on the, whether to impeach, move for impeachment or not. I say yes, move for impeachment, uh, for a couple of reasons. I am not as concerned that it will play to the benefit of the Republicans. Uh, I know that Nancy Pelosi is looking at the experience with Clinton, um, but this impeachment process has substance, has merit, and the impeachment process that they brought against Clinton was obviously. Um, um, you know, just a, a figment of all their imaginations, their, their dirty imaginations, and wasn't really going anywhere. I think this would be very different to have exposed um, in a real-time way what it is that, that, um, that Trump and his minions were up to, and I think put the Republicans in a mu- Republican Congress, uh, Senators, I should say, in a much more uncomfortable position than they, than they are if it's all pretty much, um, you know, uh, silence and, and swept under the executive privilege blanket. The other thing thing is that if they move for impeachment, um, that impeachment sharpens the need of the Congress for specific evidence and makes it more likely that the executive privilege will fall. Um, it makes it more specific. It makes it clearer. It's more akin to a criminal proceeding. It's not the same thing as a criminal proceeding, but it's analogous to a criminal proceeding. And I think it sharpens the claim of the Congress with regard to the executive privilege. Um, so I, I see no harm in proceeding towards impeachment. Um, and, uh, and that's basically what I favor, as well as uh, just, there needs to be an accounting, there needs to be a line drawn in the sand. Uh, what's happening here is so disgusting. I, I just am really disturbed by the report yesterday that Rudy Giuliani publicly states that he's going to the Ukraine to try yeah. to gin up a prosecution of Joe Biden and Joe Biden's son, um, and that the prosecutors over there uh, that had started this whole 
you know, problem of looking into um, the Ukrainian activities of Biden and his son, wanted to curry favor with Donald Trump. I mean, this use of, 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 the, of the criminal process in order to punish political enemies and to smear political enemies going into foreign countries to do this and disclosing it, because apparently they feel as long as it's openly disclosed, they can do anything they want. There's got to be a line drawn on the sand. And, and this, this you know, um, disclosure by Giuliani, I mean, it's up at the top of the page of the New York Times, but I, I, I haven't heard as much outrage as I would expect. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm beyond disgust. Case closed. <laughs> And I, I would just like to add, Reggie, because I know we're about out of time here. Um, Mitch McConnell is up for election in 2020, yeah. and he is the most unpopular senator. Okay? Yeah. He is the most unpopular senator from Kentucky. He's not even really liked in his own state. Yeah. And, again, he, he is uh, a, a snake, but just to know that he is up for election, so he is not going to do anything that will offend the rest of the, quote, Republican Party, which is now the Trump Party. Well, and, you know, those, those either whoever's running against, whoever is running against O'Connell, send money to that person. Yes. <laughs> like our brother Mark said, he said he was going to send money to William Wells, who will run against Donald Trump, which I mean, think makes perfect sense. So, well, we did did say we were going to keep this short and to the point, so I think we ought to wrap it up now. Just to wet your whistle of those of of the listeners out there, and please pass this information that we've started up our podcast again and pass it on to friends and fellows that are interested in this kind of thing. So so as we close today, uh, we, and as we discussed, um, and that's D-U-S, D-I-S-T-U-S-S-E-D, and not discussed. (laughs) As we as discussed today, Trump's vain, reckless, and self-serving actions undermine the rule of law and our American way of life. And join us, the Sisters of Resistance, in calling BS on the Trump administration. When you, when you see bullshit, you call bullshit. Okay? So thank you for being here, Franny and Meg. And my name's Reggie, and thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll see you next week, okay? And resist. Resist. Bye-bye. Resist, resist. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.